The new year means different things to each of us, but one thing that all of us can relate to is filing our taxes. That's why for the past 15 years, I've gone to my guy Rob at ARS and Associates for all of my personal and professional accounting needs, especially during tax season. Rob is professional, he's trustworthy, and if there's something that should be on my tax return, he makes sure it's there and does not get overlooked. In addition to personal accounting, the team at ARS handles corporate work, bookkeeping, payroll, and more. So call ARS and Associates now for a free consultation at 305-653-7350 or visit their website at arsaccounting.com that's arsaccounting.com and make sure you mention that the fish tank sent you to get 20 percent off the cost of preparing your tax return start saving now you're now diving into the fish tank Sitting down with Seth Living, OJ, Juice Man, this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one. one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Seth Levitt here with OJ McDuffie in 2019. Juice, what's happening? What's up, Big Seth? Man, it's been a minute since we've done this, Juice. It's good to be back in the tank, although I did enjoy a little R&R. I did too, man. I would say I missed you, but I saw you a few yeah, times we did over see break. Each other so it wasn't lot. like we, you know, weren't away, we were away from each other or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it was good times. It was good times <laughs> celebrating the holidays and everything. It was good uh, times. The best of times. But uh, it's great to be back in the tank. It's great to get this thing started again. And we've had some heavy hitters on this show. Yes, we have. We have had some, I mean, you talk about, we've had some all pros, uh, working on some Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Got some Hall of Famers that have committed, haven't gotten in yet. But we do have a true legend here today. Absolutely. I don't want to get people too excited. We don't have Danny in yet. <laughs> we don't have JT in yet. But the man who reluctantly gave me my start in this business Harvey Green, welcome to the fish tank. Great to be here. And if I'm your first guest this year, it's all downhill from here for you guys. So I'm sorry to hear about that. Well, I was thinking that we had nothing up, but an yeah, upward trajectory, Harvey. <laughs> Got to start slow. If you go, you know, we go big too early, there's nowhere else to go. That's right. That's, well, that's right. true. And it's great to be known as the guy that got Seth started in his career. What a legacy. You can't get any better than that. <laughs> a great legacy yeah, right there. Yeah, you got to write that into your obituary at some point. <laughs> Which is probably not too far down the road. Sooner than later, Watch right? yourself, Harvey. Hey. So, <laughs> so, well, listen, and you you have come up a lot in this podcast. A lot of it is just, you know, when I give OJ my perspective, unfortunately, the listeners only want to hear OJ's perspective, not mine. That's not true. But when I give my perspective, you know, there's certainly things that have happened in the PR department, stuff that we went through and, and, and the way that you handled things. And we talk about that a lot, Harvey, but I'm going to give people a little bit of a background, you know, the folks that listen to this show know you as the Dolphins PR director for a long, long time. What Your tenure was from when to when? Came 1989, their PR director through 2013, and then spent the next four years as their VP of Historical Affairs. So 29 years with the Dolphins, first 25 as PR director. That's wow. some consistency. A lot, a lot of, yeah, and yeah. a lot of winning in that part. Yeah. yeah. Once we went over and got into Historical Affairs, I was <laughs> glad to deal with the history <laughs> and not so much the current PR stuff. That's kind of our focus on this show, too, <laughs> as well. This all season. The, the, the good times were, we, were history. We enjoyed reliving those things. So we're going to talk plenty about the Dolphin tenure. But I I love to give people the background because I always say Harvey's kind of the Forrest Gump of PR in a lot of ways. I mean, if you think of Secretariat, were you you there when Secretariat won the 
<laughs> Actually, the only horse race I ever saw was the Belmont that Secretary won by 31 stakes. So. I mean, if you, and I was dumb enough not to bet on him. <laughs> if you right. name an event, right. uh, Bobby Fisher. If you, I mean, if you name an event, Harvey was at it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But one of my favorite stories you tell, because I talked about my first day, and we'll get into that. My first day w- working under you, but your first day as an intern in the NBA is one of my favorite stories. Well. This is for everyone out there who thinks sports is glamorous. I walk into the New York Nets office as an intern my very first day, uh, just out of college, and they had just joined the NBA from the ABA. So the whole marketing slogan is, join Tanya, Tony Archibald, join Tanya and Dr. J in the NBA, Dr. J being Julius Serving. Sure, and that's the whole absolutely. reason there was that merger. Thanks for clarifying, right. Dr. J. Right. <laughs> but this is a football podcast. You never know. Fair point. And some young guys as well. That's true. And anyway. <laughs> that's also fair. To make a long story short, I walk in as old, cranky New York exports writers, the PR director of the Nets. And he's busy working on his typewriter, and he knows some intern is coming in. Yeah, well, this is before computers. We had to spend 10 cents every time we wanted to Xerox a page. But anyway, uh, so he's typing. Said, Xerox. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Harvey. <laughs> you were going to be doing this all day. This better be a two-hour podcast. <laughs> anyway, so I walk in. I say, Mr. Kermanko's name was Barney Kermanko. Do you need any help? He said, shut up, kid. Just sit in the corner. I'll get to you. And he's typing away furiously. So I'm sitting in the corner doing absolutely nothing. And an hour later, I go in and say, again, Mr. Kermanko, do you need anything? I see you're working pretty hard. He said, just shut up, kid. Keep your mouth quiet. I'll call you when I need you. Finally, an hour later, I come in and I say, Mr. Kermanko, you sure I can't help you? He says, yeah, you can actually. Here, take these cards and hang on to them because when the phone starts ringing in about an hour, this is going to be the answer to the questions you're going to be getting. And I had no idea what was going on. So I said, Mr. Kermenko, what's happening? He says, we're about to announce we're selling Julius Serving to the Philadelphia 76ers for $6 million, and we're not getting a damn player in return. <laughs> well, if you're a basketball fan, that's not the greatest thing you want to hear. So... The, the Nets Not send out the, yeah, yeah, the Nets send out an announcement, and the phone starts ringing. So here I am, my first official duty in professional sports, and I pick up the phone, and the first thing I hear is, "God damn it! Why the hell are you doing this? I want my money back. This is terrible. You guys suck." And I realize I'm getting calls from these season ticket holders. So I go look at my little card, and it says, "Gee, I'm sorry, sir, but you didn't buy tickets to see Julia Serving. You bought tickets to see the New York Nets. Oh, so man. you're not allowed to get your money back. God damn it, you asshole! I want my money back." Well. Well, sir, and I look at part two, I'm sorry you feel this way, and we apologize. How are you? Goddamn you idiot. I want my money back. This went on for three straight days. That's all I did. Welcome to the NBA, Harvey the, the, Green. The glamour in pro sports for me lasted three hours. Oh, my God. Hey, that's, that's a great story right there. You know, you talk about working in the NBA, ABA, NBA with the, with the Nets. You also worked for my beloved Cavs, right? You did. Yeah, that is yeah. correct, my beloved Cavs. I, I yeah. started George Carlisle on his, on his uh, road to greatness. Is that true, right? True story. George was our director of player personnel my second year with the Cavs, and when Tom Nasalki got fired, George wanted to be the coach, and he was off on the road scouting so he had me in the office as his spy harry welton was our gm and then you know i was always i'd always call george and say george they're interviewing this guy well tell harry i want the job so i was kind of his inside guy when george got the job I went over to him and said, George, you have this job because of me. That's right. So from now on, when I tell you to do this interview or to open this locker room, you better do what I tell you to do. And apparently and he it, was. it was. Yeah, great. Right, right. It was great. He won PR director yeah, in yeah. the yeah. NBA. That's a true great. story. But I was the one telling the coach what to do, and every time he'd say, I don't want to do it, I said, shut up. I don't think many PR guys can get away with that. I certainly couldn't do that with Coach Shula. Oh, no, not, not at all, man. So, hey, that's great. And the George, then from there, from the Cavs, you went to New York with the Yankees. So you went from, went from the NBA. 
to Major League Baseball, not just Major League Baseball, but working for the boss. But, tell me about that a little bit. I, I will, and I'll tell you, I got fired by George five times, and I finally figured <laughs> out. Sounds like he, Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. If you watch Seinfeld, uh, that's very much like it. But on a serious note, these are some of the people I've been lucky to work with in my, in my career, and I'm, I've been blessed, and I'll get into my Yankee stuff in a second. With the Yankees, it was people like George Steinbrenner, Billy Martin, Lou Pinella, Dallas Green. They oh, all yeah. won championships, yeah. maybe multiple championships. While you were there, Harvey? Uh, none of them won anything <laughs> when I was there. That's the problem. I'll tell you about the curse of Harvey Green yeah, later. Well, well let, me, let me finish. And with the Dolphins, <laughs> it was people like Don Shula, Jimmy Johnson, Nick Saban, Bill Parcells. None of them won a damn thing with right. us either, Not but they you. all had multiple championships. So in all seriousness, you know, I've been very blessed to have worked with people at the very top of their profession. And if I ever gave an hour talk, it would be the things I learned from each of them because I really did learn a lot. And and you're crazy if you don't. And I know we'll get into some of this a little bit later. But, you know, George did actually fire me five times and yell at me and scream at me. But it was a great experience working for him because I learned a very, very valuable lesson. And there's a story behind it. It was my third year there, uh, heading into my fourth year. And I was the first Yankee PR director to actually make four spring trainings. (laughs) That's historic uh, right there. Well, I was his ninth PR guy after only 15 years of owning the team. So, you you know, it wasn't exactly the most stable situation. When I met George, the first thing he told me was, rent, don't buy. (laughs) And he was right. But But Harvey told me that when he hired me, too. So you, you, you learned lasted, a lot of You things. lasted just about as long, but I only fired you once. <laughs> I left on my own terms already. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I was at Madison Square Garden. In the, in, it was in February, and nothing was going on. Nothing at all was going on. I, was, I took my girlfriend to a Knicks game. But with George, this is the age before cell phones, you had to tell him where you were going to be at all times. So if he wanted you, we can track you down. So I, the, the Nick PR guy was a friend of mine, so I gave him the number of the phone by the scorer's table to find me if they needed me. So... Midway in the third quarter, uh, assistant comes over in my seat and says, you know, Mrs. Steinberg's looking for you on that phone over there. <laughs> what the hell? So, so I said, what the heck's going on? In Nobody the middle of died. The we haven't traded anybody. There's nothing happening in February in baseball at that time. This is 1988. So I go over before you guys were even born. So I go over oh, to, was, to the I phone. Well I was born. Oh, so, I, so I go over to the press bus. And meanwhile, there's a basketball game going on like a foot in front of me. And I'm sitting at the score table. And George is yelling at me. Because there was an article in the paper that day about the Mets, and there wasn't one about the Yankees. <laughs> you fucked up. And he was, yeah, and he was mad at me, and he, that's basically what he said. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and he fired me again. <laughs> now, at the game. Yeah, well, no, I, yeah, at that point in time, you like getting fired because you know he's not going to bother you the rest of the night. So you I get went a couple back days and I, off? Yeah, I went, I went back with my girlfriend. I said, hey, we can go out for drinks after this because <laughs> right. I'm, no, you know, I got fired. I don't have to deal with anything. So anyway... I did show up the next day, and, and that's what you always do when you're the Yankee Pierre and get fired by George. But I learned one thing that I, I thought about to this day. It's very important. If you're not as intense about your job and make it as important to you as the person above you looks at his job and how important it is to him, you're not going to succeed. And the, and, and the day you lose that same intensity and don't share it with your boss, then you need to get out. And George thought baseball 24-7. That's why he was so successful because that's all he cared about. He had no hobbies. His family life wasn't really anything that he cared that much about. He took no vacations. It was all the Yankees. And and that's the reason he was so successful. But if you don't share that same dedication, you'll 
never be successful. For my first three years, I did. I didn't really have a social life. I was thrilled to be in baseball. I loved working for the Yankees. I lived in New York. It was the most uh, visible team in, in, in sports. It was the marquee sports PR job. It was my hometown team in, in one essence. But when I lost that drive that he had, I knew it was time to leave. Started I, taking girls yeah. to basketball games. Yeah. Right. That's what happened. Right. <laughs> I, I knew I'd be single the rest of my life, which I was almost anyway, so I guess I can't blame you. had a hell of a run, but, right? But, you know, when I, when I came, and Juice would appreciate this, when, when I came to the Dolphins, everyone said, gee, Coach Shula is going to be tough to work with. He's going to demand a lot of you. And I sat there and I said, yeah, but he's probably reasonable about it. Correct. You know, correct. he's not going to ask they me. They didn't know where you just came from, yeah. obviously, right? They didn't do the history right there, right. sir. So, so I, you, you do learn a lot from people like George, and, and he was tough to work with, but I'm glad I did. And I'll tell you what, I knew when I left I was probably giving up some rings because I knew he would be so success, successful as he always had been because of his pure dedication. Nothing else mattered to him, either financially or in terms of intensity. Yeah, well, I mean, that was evident for <laughs> yeah. sure. But speaking of which, part of the, what I love about this story, Harvey, is that this is actually a question in the Trivial Pursuit game. Uh, do you still carry that around yeah, in your wallet? It. I can show it to you right <laughs> now. Yeah, we got to see it. We got to get a picture <laughs> We're of, that. Fix it of that. Yeah. So you got to see it. It was dudes. great on dates when I was single. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Green is a question in Trivial Pursuit. You know, I, you tell the story better than I do, Harvey, well, but the, you're, you're going to love this the, one, OJ. The, 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 the question is what baseball owner put a 9 o'clock curfew in spring training on Yankee PR director Harvey Green. That's is that right? right? Yeah, no one has to look at the answer. They all He's know who the it cars. is. Right. Yeah. So the, 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 I the, hope it's laminated at It this is. Point. It's, it's, it's worn out. Believe it. It's worn out. Actually, you know, Greg Cody was the one who found it. I was sitting in a press box at one of our games on Sunday in like 1992 or something. Greg Cody comes over to me, a writer for the Herald, and yep. says, you know, you're on a Trivial Pursuit card? I said, what? Get out of here. And he pulled it out. I couldn't believe it. And you and, say he and, was like drinking and playing. Yeah, right, and yeah, right. so I got to read it three yeah. times. So, I, so he gave it to me. I still have it. I don't get royalties because I misspelled my name. But anyway. <laughs> they leave the E off at yeah, the end? Yeah, they leave the E off. They get everything else right. That's, that's payback for the extra T you gave me for eight years. <laughs> I still probably do. Yeah. I won't um, tell you what that T stood for, but that's a whole different story. I don't even but want anyway, to know. so we're in spring training, and, and it's my first year with the Yankees, and I've been with them for a month. I barely knew George. And I went out to dinner with a writer who was doing a profile on him for Sports Illustrated, Ed Swift, who's still there, goes by the name of E.M. Swift now. And so we went out to dinner, and I got back to my hotel room at 9.30 uh, in uh -oh. spring training at night. And in those days, this before a cell phone or even a beeper, there was a red light on in your room. So I get to my room. <laughs> yeah, that's that, what, that, that, red, that red light is on. And when you're the Yankee PR director and you see a red light on like that, it's one of two things, either a family emergency or George is looking for you. And after a while, you start the route for a family emergency. Right. <laughs> That's right. Old line, old PI guy. Right. So, so anyway, so I pick up the phone, and it's and I said, the operator says, Mr. Steinberg's looking for you. Can you call him? So I call him. He says, Harvey, where were you? And I thought I had a great answer. I was about to tell him I was taking a writer out to dinner who's doing a profile on him for a national magazine. I got as far as Mr. Steinbrenner. I was, and he says, well, I don't give a damn. <laughs> From now on, I want you in your room at 9 o'clock every night so I know I can reach you if I need you. Great. Damn. Grown man in so, spring training. Yeah. So, so that's part one, okay? So the next day is my 33rd birthday, and I'll tell you why I know this exactly. The New York writers come up to me and say, hey, we'll take you out for your birthday tonight after our game in spring training. And I said, great, but, you know, this is the age before Twitter when you can actually talk to writers off the record. But I didn't know this was off the record. I was stupid. I said, that's fine, guys, but understand one thing. I got to be back by 9 o'clock. <laughs> what do you mean? He says, George gave me a curfew. I got to be in my room at 9 o'clock tonight. Can you believe that? I was able to stay out later 30 years ago when I got bar mitzvah than I can tonight. <laughs> so a funny line, right? Right, exactly line, right? right. Well, I totally forgot 
that when you're in spring training, all the New York writers write three stories. They write a game story, they write a sidebar, and they write a little note, postcards from Florida, to make everyone up north thinking about being jealous that they're down there and, and everyone else is stuck in New York. Their postcard from Florida was, boss hits Yankee PR guy with curfew. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just the headline to a story inside. It was the back page headline in the post oh, and the news. Right. Boss hits Yankee PR guy with curfew. That's a great well, one, man. I had no you had another red light on in your well, phone. Well, well, <laughs> well, here's the point. Now, this is the New York papers. I had no idea about any of this, right? Oh, because you were so, in Florida. And this was before the internet. And, right. and George <laughs> is down in, 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 with us. So, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about it. So I went out to dinner, got back in my room, 9.15, the phone rings. And it's George. And I'm happy. That you're in your room? Because I'm in my room. Yeah, yeah I am. I'm here. I pick up the phone and I'm I'm about to, you know, say, hey, here I am. He says, God damn it, you're an idiot. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I can't believe this. I can see right now you're not good enough for this job. You're fired. I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, sir, what do you mean? He says, well, these goddamn headlines in New York about me putting a curfew on you. How stupid can you be? You're fired. Just get the hell out of here. Go back to New York tomorrow. I don't want to see you again. Now I'm panicking. You know, this is a month into my time. I said, geez, a month and I already got fired? So I made my flight arrangements for the next day on Eastern Airlines to go back to New York. That doesn't even exist <laughs> anymore. Right, right. <laughs> but I called. The Yankee PR guys are like PLW so like, survivors. You know, we're, we're a group. The and, Da Vinci you know, We, we, we deal with each other as, 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 as a group that survived working for George Steinbrenner. So I called up Larry Wall, who some of you know, who actually was my roommate in college, who was the PR guy before me. And I said, Larry, what do we do? George fired me. Oh, he's just blowing off steam. Don't even worry about it. He won't even remember in the morning. Just show up. I said, that's not right. He was pissed. Don't even worry about it. So I called Marty Appel, who was his predecessor, who I also knew. Again, we're all survivors. He said the same thing. Oh, he's just mad at you. I got fired five times before I left. Don't worry about it. Just show up the next day. Well, I didn't believe any of it. So I hung up the phone, went to sleep, got up in the morning, and I was getting ready to leave for the airport to catch my flight. It's 8.45, and the phone rings. And it's Ann Milio, my secretary, who's down with me at spring training. And he says, I don't know where you are, but you better get in here. George is looking for you, and he's going crazy. <laughs> I said, Ann, he fired me last night. He said, he did? Well, he certainly doesn't remember it. You better get in here. <laughs> so I, He's going to fire I, again. I, 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 I rush my kill to get into the office. We were a trailer outside Fort Lauderdale Stadium, and Steinbrenner sees me, and he calls me and says, Green, where the hell were you? You know you're supposed to be in here by 8.30. The next time you're late, you're fired. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I went right hey. back, and that was the end of that. And, and the next couple of times I got fired, it was great. I don't, you knew. Like, you knew. Just, yeah, yeah, I don't just hang in there. I got fired once. There's a Dave Winfield story I can tell you about some other time. But I got fired <laughs> once in the middle of a game. I called my girlfriend up and said, what are you doing for dinner? I says, don't you have a game tonight? I said, yeah, but I got fired, so I got to the, I get the rest <laughs> I of the, the night, night off. off. And I went out to dinner and showed up the next day. <laughs> so knowing that he dealt with that, Juice, imagine Harvey having to walk into Steinbrenner's office and say, I'm leaving for Miami for good. Yeah. Another all-time great story. Well, this is like when you leave the Yankees under Steinbrenner, it's like trying to leave the mafia. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. They tell you. You don't tell them. <laughs> So I, I had done an interview with uh, Tim and Joe Robbie because I wanted to come down here. You know, the job had opened up, but I knew I couldn't last a, another, a fourth year with George. I just couldn't. And the job opened up here, and, you know, the Dolphins were a marquee team, and it's the NFL. So there's a whole story about how I got the job and how I had to sneak out of our, our training camp and you know, like a POW out of a trailer. That's a whole different story. <laughs> but anyway, Joe Robbie offers me the do job, and I take it. Now I'm scared. What do I tell George? Yeah. I tried to make up a story, but I figured it wouldn't work. So I just went in. I, told, I went in. I said, Mr. Sternberg, I need to see you. He says, what do you want? He says, well, I just took the job as the uh, Miami Dolphins PR director. He looks at me, and he says, you did, huh? 
Nay says, we'll see about that. <laughs> now, at that time, Joe Robbie was trying to get a Major League Baseball team for his new stadium. So he turned to his secretary and he said, get me Joe Robbie on the phone. And you stay here because I want you to hear this. And he calls Joe and he says, Joe, George here. Did you just hire my PR guy? You did, huh? Well, you know that baseball team you want? You're not getting it. <laughs> now, I knew I was good at what I was doing, but I know I wasn't worth $100 million, right. which is what it would cost. Right. So I said, I'm screwed because Joe's going to Joe, Joe, yeah, back down, obviously. He wasn't going to stick up for me. And once that happened, I knew George would fire me legitimately because the one thing that did get you fired was insubordination. That is the one thing he would fire you over. And you knew it was serious. Right. I thought I'm screwed. Joe Robbie, God bless him. Everyone calls him a rascible and a tough SOB and all that. And thank God that's exactly what he was because he basically told George to stick it. He said, George, I hired him and I'm sticking with it. Now, no one ever you told George to Steinbrenner like that, like no. that. Even, even other owners. Right. I mean, baseball owners were scared of him. And Joe Robbie stuck to his guns, and to his credit, he kept me on, and he kept that job for me. Now, they did wind up negotiating when I would leave. George said, well, can, can you leave after we get back to New York and get through spring training? And, and Joe said, yeah. Well, it turns out George's definition of back to New York wasn't April. It stretched into May. It stretched into June. I had hired Scott Stone as my assistant. <laughs> Scott ran the entire draft. I wasn't a press, the, I, I was a press box in Cleveland. Yeah, he actually has more tenure with the Dolphins than I <laughs> that's do. That's right. So the well, Yan- he's still working, Harvey. He's still yeah, that's check. true. <laughs> he, he, he's passing me now. But the Yankee writers in, in, in New York put up in a press box, number of days Yankee PR director held hostage. <laughs> And it got oh to God. about 90 before I finally left, like two weeks before training camp. And I walk in, and Don Shula looks at me and says, where have you been? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, who good. the hell are you? Right, right. <laughs> That's great. So you go from Steinbrenner to Coach well, Shula. Well, one thing yep. about George, mm-hmm. by the way, I will say this. Once you leave, and you leave on his terms, I wrote him a thank you note. I never thanked him. I thanked. I, I said it was great having the opportunity to work for the Yankees, but I never really thanked him, but he thought I did. He was great to me after that. If I ever needed a favor, he would have been the first guy that I would call and he would do it. He's great if you leave on good terms. And the next year in spring training, I'm down here and I come up while I'm working for the Dolphins. I go over to Yankee Stadium or Fort Lauderdale Stadium and I see George. And he says, hey, how you doing? Tell Coach Hugh I said hello. Come on up. Sit with me in my box which was on top of Yankee Stadium, which I never got in when I worked right, there. Right, right. Right. So I'm sitting in there. He couldn't have been nice. He had a TV. We're watching the uh, NCAA tournament. This is in April going on. And I said, Mrs. Steinbrenner, if you treated me like this when I worked here, I never would have left. <laughs> never left. And, he, and he said, if you still work for me, I guarantee you I wouldn't be treating you like this. <laughs> <laughs> At least you guys had an understanding. Exactly, at that right. point. It's kind of like my experience with Harvey after I left yeah. to go work with Jake. Right, you became exactly. a lot smarter. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you go, from, um, you go from Steinbrenner to Coach Shula. You know, I know what it's like to play for Coach Shula, but I mean, what was it like being this PR guy going from one situation to New York to being in Miami? You know, it, it was great for two reasons. One, there wasn't anything Coach Shula hadn't already seen. And you know him, OJ. One thing that separated him from Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner would blame me for somebody else's mistakes. Shula would blame me only for my own mistakes. And you've seen this. He'd yell at you if something happened. I was equated to like a thunderstorm. There's thunder. There's lightning. But it passes. And daylight comes back. So he would yell at you. He'd get it out of the system. But if he trusted you, he felt you were professional, you knew what you were doing, it would pass. And then 20 minutes later, he'd go back to, you know, treating you as, as a professional. Right. And, and the best thing, and, and, and this is true of some of the coaches I mentioned and, and true 
of, unfortunately, not true, some other coaches that I worked with down here. The best thing is he would listen to you. You know, we'd come off the field and they'd say, okay, what do you need me to do? What do you want? How do I handle this? Right. I mean, you played for him and, and, and yeah. you know, there were some things about him that I'm sure you understood were tough to deal with, but understood why he did oh, I it. I loved him. Yeah, loved but, him. but yeah. at the end, there yeah. were a lot of things that you really appreciated. And the best thing about Coach Shula was when he got mad at you, it would be over and done with, and he would listen to me and ask me for advice in the area that, that I was supposedly the expert in. You right. can't ask a coach of anything more than that. I've got he a treated question. people fairly. I've got a question because um, I got in trouble one time for a birthday party I had down in the Grove, <laughs> and I want to know how the hell Just they, trouble once, they, Juice? Yeah, just once. <laughs> one serious one. That's not so and bad. I know then. you had to know about it too, Harvey, because I went up to – I don't know how Coach Shula found out about it, but somebody was talking about – you know, I had a birthday party on Thursday night. You know, we had a game on Sunday. I thought it was, it was okay. Mm-hmm. I, I lied and said I didn't know about it, but I knew about it. Coach, I knew about it, Coach. I knew about the, the party. So. You did know about, the party. know about the party. <laughs> it's out there now. But, like, when things That's like that. Really I hope happened. Coach isn't listening because he might still yell at you. <laughs> yeah, I might get fined still for if that. If Coach is know? listening to this podcast, he's probably <laughs> not going to talk to OJ <laughs> yeah, ever exactly again because right. we've had some stories now. Exactly right. So, I know a lot of guys have had situations. So, do you get a lot of information before it gets to Coach? Do you have to filter a lot yeah, of that through? Yeah, I mean, the way it works is sometimes – Sometimes I would hear things from Stu, who I know you had on the show, and I, the stories he didn't tell you a lot better than the stories he did. Well, he wants but, to come back on. But, you know, yeah, well, <laughs> I, that, I, I'd make sure that only goes to a limited audience. But, you know, with Coach, there are things I would find out, and sometimes I'd have to break it to him uh, if Stu hadn't or a player hasn't. But but the one thing that I said I liked is he, he'd figure out how to handle it, and he'd ask me for advice. In your situation, I do remember that, and I didn't want to throw anybody under the bus, so I kind of felt let him handle it because I wasn't the first person to tell him. He knew right. about it when I came in and, okay. you know, and, and let the <laughs> discipline out there and what, how to deal with the media. So there are times where, yeah, you have to go in and, and you really never wanted to be in a position of telling him something he didn't know because that would be one of the times he would get mad and you might be a guy who's taking some of those bullets. Right. You know, why am I finding this out from you? Right. It's a good question, but why is he asking me that? <laughs> right. Right. Somebody else should be answering yeah. that. So give us an example of something where he really laid into you. I understand you said how he dealt with oh. it and how that it, it went back to being professional. You're, but give us an example of something where you really got your ass chewed by Coach Jules. Oh, you're going to kill me because I have to tell away a little secret. But this is where I hope he doesn't listen. But, Coach, <laughs> if you are, I still love you. Uh, my, my second year, I think you were on the team, I think, when he played a preseason game up in Orlando. Yes. Uh, against the Bucks, This is, you know, first, it wasn't happening that often. So, Armando Salguero wanted kind of a story, what does Coach Shula do on the road? You know, what, when he gets into town like this, what does he do? And I told him, he goes to his room, and I said, you know, he has, he had a meeting, production meeting, and I said, and in his room, we, we get some food, and we get a few other things, we get some Diet Pepsi, and we usually get a case of beer in there. Oh, boy. Uh, and, and, you know, he goes in, and, and sometimes he has the coaches up there, but that's basically what a road trip is like. You know, there's more details, but that's the, that's the crux of the thing that got me in trouble. Shula gets off the plane. <laughs> And the first thing he has, the head on his hand, the first thing he said is, you know, he had, they had flown in. I had, was advancing. I was already in Orlando. He gets off the plane. And the first thing he said was, what the heck are you thinking? You're making me look like some kind of drunk. <laughs> I said, excuse me, coach? What do you mean? This beer stuff? You're making me look like a drunk. I get to a sign. The first thing I do is have a case of beer. <laughs> and it was a thunderstorm. And I hid. And it was, you know, eventually. A case, got, yeah, by himself. Yeah. But, but but eventually he got over it. But the one thing about Coach Shula is, and you know this, OJ, sometimes you had to think on your feet. When when Mike Shula was coaching at Alabama, when Coach Shula would get off the plane on, on, a, on a Saturday when we'd land in the visiting city, I was always advancing. And I always knew the first thing he would ask me when he came off the plane was, what's the Alabama score? Right. And again, no cell phones in those days, so I had to call the press box or whatever to get the score, so I had it for him. Well, 
I couldn't get it for some reason. I couldn't get through, and I didn't have it when he came off the plane. So I was saying, what the hell am I going to do? So he comes off the plane, and he says, uh, Harvey, what's the Alabama score? 0-0 uh, uh, on the first, coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, good. Let me know when you find anything right. else out. At some point, you <laughs> were right. That's <laughs> right. You had to be right. <laughs> That's class. And so, OJ, you know, the, the advancing thing, and really for the listeners as well, because I got to experience this, and, and different, by the time I was doing it, we really only handled the media stuff. And, and, and at that point, we were at least FedExing things and there was email and all these other things that Harvey didn't have. But Harvey would have us. What we were supposed to do is we'd put all these packets together. You get all these clips from the newspaper clippings. So when those coaches, I mean, it was like game day when they walked off that plane. And you've seen it yes. as a player. You come oh, yeah. off as a PR guy. You're running around. You're sweating. You're making sure everybody gets their packets. The, their, their hotel keys were in the packets. If they had per diem, if they had money. And we had to work with the operations guys and get all that stuff together so i can only imagine for harvey what that was like knowing that shula was and you don't know what you're going to get right they get off that plane you don't know what you're going to walk into well there, i'll tell you two quick things one the most important thing in the packet were the clips because this is before the internet and when you went up to these other cities you were kind of like the eyes and ears so every, every day yeah, I would, what's I, happening in I, that I, town, I would cut right. out the newspaper articles and the buffalo mm -hmm. daily news and 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 and, and, and fa you know i'd, I'd have to right. fax them back right. so they'd have you get like injury yeah. reports or right. what happened and, and actually yeah. coach shula always asked me to go up early on Tuesday to Buffalo because Bill Polian had a radio show at 7 o'clock that he wanted me to take notes about. Right, that you could listen to yeah, now I, I, down yeah, here. Yeah, now, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, can't exactly. do it now. Right, so right. I'd land, get my car radio and turn it on and sit there on the side and take notes about Polian talking about injuries or anything. I and find a payphone and call yeah. back the coach. Yeah, But, but there, there, there are times where... That's great. That's great. And Seth might remember this. You certainly will. When we landed on Saturday, they don't do this anymore. We would actually go, go to, to the, the visiting site oh, yeah. and and, and do Jimmy a, do did it the first right, year. Do it an hour and a half walk through first right. juice. To correct me if I'm wrong. Until the equipment truck got there, exactly right. You would go and do some film work, exactly right, and and, mm -hmm. and, and get on the practice. But I remember once when uh, we got there and the equipment truck broke down. And I had to tell Coach, Coach, we're going to be late. The equipment truck broke down. He says, well, where the hell was the backup equipment truck? <laughs> where do they have backup equipment trucks? That's coach. That's but, a coach, but anyway, right? But so then Harvey started checking the engines. Yeah. He'd make the bus drivers turn the engines oh, on. Oh, that's all. Those, oh, well, I'll tell you a little about that. So the, I, I had a checklist, right, of all these things exactly. You know, I love this story. So we landed in, in Providence. And we only had limited time. We were going to Schaefer Stadium. When, you know, when, we only had a limited time to, to do our walkthrough. There because they had to kick us out for whatever reason. Right. So we only had that window. So the plane lands in Providence, and I'm I'm all set. I'm you know we got everything all together, and we bring the staircase up to meet the plane. You know the one front staircase. They pump the staircase up, and it doesn't reach the top. <laughs> it was for a 757, not a 767. Now this is Providence. It's not like there are thousands of staircases <laughs> running around like this. This is before they had jetways. So they open the door, and the staircase is about three feet down. And Shu was looking at that, and he's looking at me. Was this kept, after the Achilles? Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Lord. So smoke is coming out of his ears. Not that he was worried about the drop down, but he knew we were wasting time, and this was time that would be taken away from the amount of time we had to practice. So I was running like crazy, and I had to go to United, and they had to get their staircase because we were flying Delta, and it took about 25 minutes before we actually got that second staircase. So the whole team up. is on the plane. And the whole team's on the plane. They're all looking at looking me. Out looking out the window. window laughing because they know what's <laughs> oh, going on. And, and they, I can see them going, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm dreading when I finally get this. I want to, if, it was concrete. If I could bury a hole there, I'd stick myself into it. So Shula comes off the staircase. And since you cursed, I, 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 can, I, can, I can say it the way he did. He comes to me and he looks at me and he said, 
add that to your fucking checklist. <laughs> <laughs> and he walked into the bus, and all the players came down and says, way to go, yeah, you really exactly screwed right. that one exactly up. Right. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I did add it to the checklist, because every other week after that, I would ask him to pump those stairs up long before the plane ever got there. Right, right, so you know exactly if it's <laughs> going to work right. or not. So that's our line. I said, DJ Preach here now at the foundation, if there's something that goes wrong, I walk over, I said, add that to your fucking checklist. So I'm taking that line from Coach. If I ever wrote a book about this stuff, I would call it, where are the fucking buses? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I can't even imagine what that was like because, you know, I started in 96. But one guy I did work with who crossed over both of those tenures, you know, you didn't work for just one icon in Miami. There was another one that you worked with in Dan Marino. So what was that like as a PR guy? And, and I saw some of it towards the tail end. But you're talking about one of the preeminent players in the league. And from the standpoint of the media requests, the local media, the demands that are on him, having to deal with him, his competitive spirit after games, after losses, all of those things, and and then just Dan being Dan, what was that experience like? Yeah, let me talk about that for one sec, but I do want to get back to Coach Hula because the one lesson I learned from him, and you probably saw this, OJ, when he was done with our practice, he would run laps around the field. And and nobody was watching. It would be he and Gary Stevens, and sometimes I would do it because I was in in shape back then as you but anyway one thing i learned about him is everyone else was cutting inside the pylons don shula never did right. he would wow. always do the entire field the way it was set up outside the pylons no shortcuts and that's what i learned from shula he always had a saying you know the winning edge the like winning that. edge for him is no shortcuts do what you're supposed to do even when no one else is watching if you want to be successful to me that's what the winning edge is no shortcuts do it the right way work hard, and, and do what you need to That's do. Great. That's how you'll be successful. That That's what I learned for Don Shula, That's just really by watching stuff. that. Yep. As far as Danny, uh, you know, and I'm going to be serious for a moment, too. You know, everyone talks about Danny and, you know, his, his great play on the field, his Man of the Year award and all his charity stuff off it, and it's all true and it's all deserved because Danny was great for me. He's like you, LJ, in, in, in a lot of respects. He was a professional, and you can't ask anything more than that. He never let who he was get to his head. He would be asked a lot of things by me. You know, every week he'd have to do a conference call, <laughs> the network stuff, the availability, and, and you know, dealing with the media is nobody's favorite part of the job. You never get judged whether you should be a dolphin or not because you're great with the media or even great with the community. It's what you do on the field. But Danny understood it was part of his responsibilities. And here's why he understood that. And I never forgot this. There was something that happened. Oh, it was Duper Clayton. And we come off the fields after a loss and Danny's ticked off. And uh, he said, God damn, Duper ran the wrong goddamn route. I threw the ball exactly where it was supposed to be and he ran the wrong route. Uh, and he was just telling me that. So he gets out to the press conference and they ask him about what happened and happened on that play. I said, yeah, it's my fault. I overthrew Dupe. I, I, I should have really put a little more air on the ball, uh, but it's my fault. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I wish I had that throw back. You know, Duper, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Duper and Clayton, they're great. They, they make up for a lot of my mistakes. So I walked back. I said, Danny, that's amazing. He says, one thing my father taught me is take blame, give credit. That's what I love about Dan Marino yeah. because that's yep. exactly the way he was. He's a Pittsburgh guy through and through. He has the same values as parents who you both know taught him. And he did all the right things off the field, on the field. Made my life very easy. Yeah could have made it very difficult but he did a lot of things that i know he wasn't thrilled about doing in terms of dealing with the media and he did it in the right way and he took a lot of bullets for people that nobody knows about you can't ask for anybody better than that yeah and we, I, I don't want to get too serious but that's why i always love dan marino well you know and also i mean dealing with danny and also dealing with she was like dealing with a president and, and just in terms yeah. of how you handled him like what about a road trip how, how was danny on on the road sometimes well that's where the one issue was because <laughs> 
and, and, and you've been through this. There's always a production meeting when you get into town. You have to, you know, go into the hotel and and the TV. Only, the, super, only the stars get production meetings. Well, you made. You've got I a couple of hats. I had, had one or two. You have a couple of hats. But the coach and the quarterback yeah, are always, always going always, in right. that order. Yeah, right. and, and I always <laughs> beg the coach every time we get a new head coach, which wasn't as frequent then as it seems to be now. <laughs> Coach, can you, you go think? last? Because if the coach is first, then you've got to beg Danny and the rest of the players to hang around for. But they didn't a half always hour. want to do it that no, way. No, no. Well, yeah. Sometimes coaches would go yeah. first. Sometimes I don't they know if Sula did, but I, I, Jimmy, I feel like went first. Jimmy went first, yeah. which meant I had to beg Danny to yeah. stay while I in sat his room. in Zach's room. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. We, we had to babysit these guys. I kidded Danny because <laughs> I, I, I would beg him, Danny, give me five more minutes, please, before you go out. Because he has, you know, he had some people waiting to meet him sure, for dinner right. or whatever. You know, everybody would go out for about an hour or two before you had to be back for the meetings. And I would beg Danny, and God bless him, never once, never once did he miss a production meeting. He would stay that half hour if he had to. I, no, I, I used to kid him. I said, Danny, you know, I got a lot of scars on me, my knees begging you to stay. But he always would. <laughs> and again, those are things. And so did Zach. So did JT. JT is another guy who caused me to have some knee problems. But those are the guys who got it. They understood what they needed to do. And one thing I learned about Danny, uh, and, and, and Zach and JT were a lot like this, and they understood this too. Sometimes if you have the focus on you for things that go wrong, you're making it easier for your, for teammates. your teammates. Sure. And, and Danny knew in every situation he would be the spokesperson or one of them they would go to obviously he was a go-to guy and he knew if he took some blame or somehow put whatever negative attention was on himself he knew he could handle that and especially for younger guys it would be a lot better than if somebody else were getting some of that blame and and i i remember distinctly you were here for that i think the the playoff game we lost in san diego in mm -hmm. san diego we had a huge no lead. i came in afterwards okay, you were here then Absolutely. we had we, I, we, I watched we, it at home we had a huge lead i we think 21-3 i believe yeah and, and so they has they, it was 22 21 we got the ball back three timeouts, 30 seconds to go. You know, field goal. This is the end where we thought we'd do it. Mm -hmm. Two passes to Mike Williams, and, he, you know, we, we get down, and, and, and Stoyle misses the field goal. And everyone blamed him. And Danny, uh, he was crushed. I mean, you know, this is, you know, later in his career, he didn't know how many more chances he would get. This is a divisional round game. We were right. him away from the SC championship game. And then he came in. I remember I said right by his locker, he took the blame for everything. He said, no, this is on me. We never should have been in this situation. Because the defense was getting blamed for giving up all those points. Right. Stoyanovich came. He said, nope, I left a lot of plays on the field, especially in that last drive. I, I knew I had Mike, but I had Duper Clayton open further downfield. I could have done a better job. And it really, I mean, there's the measure of a man. In one of the toughest moments of his life, he stood up and took the blame that rightly should have gone to other people. Yeah. That's why Dan is Dan. So there's no doubt about that, uh, Harvey and, and Juice. Harvey's telling you, everything he's telling you is true, but he's leaving out a little bit in the middle because Dan, at, at least, you know, I got there in 96, so the last four years of his career, and he ultimately did everything that was asked of him. But he made Harvey work a little bit. So Harvey's saying that he had an easy job, and that's because the end result he got, which is true because if you don't have to, the hard part is if you have to go tell the media somebody's not going to do what they are supposed to do, and then you have to deal with that fallout. Right. So Dan ultimately did, but he made Harvey work a little bit, and it was fun to watch the Dan. <laughs> man and if you remember the way the locker room was set up at that point well obviously you and dan sat across from each other you always talk about the great real estate you had in the locker room That's right and there was that hallway you know and there was an opening by your section and then there was an opening by the offensive lineman section <laughs> and you know and we would cut through the weight room right that's we'd yeah. go down a spiral staircase through the uh through the weight room and then we'd come down that hallway and there would be times <laughs> where i'd be following harvey and i had to go find you or zach or whoever and harvey was there for one guy and it was for Dan. 
<laughs> Dan would come out one way, Harvey would be going in the other way, and Dan would say, "Go, ah, oh, fuck!" And he turned around, around and he go the other direction. <laughs> I'd have to and, track And they like would be looking at you. Know, it was almost like a cartoon. Harvey would go this way, Dan would go out the other door, and they, you know, and they'd go through all that dance. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. Were you with us in St. Thomas when we practiced there? One, one camp, one oh, mini camp. Okay, so you might remember where the equipment room was. In the oh back. yeah, that was where Bobby Monica, a real legend, yeah. a real legend. We've talked about Bobby. Yeah, he's been yeah. on. He's been so, on. He's been so, mentioned. So, Danny and Bobby were very close. So Danny would always be in there looking at a lot of things that Bobby would have, and they'd be kidding around and joking. And that was the only phone in that area. So that's where Danny would wind up doing his conference calls. Bobby would let me use his phone because I think there was the one pay phone in St. Thomas, but I'm not putting Dan in the middle of a pay phone to do a conference call. <laughs> so I'd go in, and he'd be sitting with Bobby and talking back and forth and kidding around on, on things that people in locker rooms do. And you know, but, So I'd, I'd say, Danny, you ready for a conference call? He'd say, yeah. So he'd get on the phone, and he'd start talking. He says, hang on one second. He'd put his hand over the receiver, and Bobby would be telling him some kind of joke. And Danny would start <laughs> Can only cracking imagine. up. Yeah. Danny would start cracking up. And he says, oh, yeah, on that cover two defense, uh, <laughs> never miss a beat. And I'm sitting there. I'm rolling over in the floor laughing because Bobby can be a very funny guy, and Danny would never miss a beat. He just put everybody on hold for a couple of seconds. <laughs> I was funny. so glad to get out of that equipment room when we finally moved. Oh, I bet. Man, too funny. I bet. You know, it reminds me of a story. Harvey, you know, you talk about your interactions with Koshula and Danny. I mean, you were their PR guy. And I know this guy, Mike Hansen, who had all the other starters. And then Seth had everybody else yeah. on the team. Seth had the guys whose names I didn't know. I, I, well, I just realized that I was one of those guys whose name you didn't know. You weren't my PR guy. I was after you quit 90 passes. Oh, okay. Right, see, see I told in. you how it went. I told you. Hey, hey, Zach knocked out Sean Jefferson. He became a Harvey guy. I was hey, like, wait I, a minute. He was my guy all camp. Well, I, I tell people, I'm, I'm the PR guy for the head coach, the quarterback, and the pro bowlers. That's right, you that's got right. everybody I else. Feel you, I feel Day you. one. That's what Harvey <laughs> told me. Day one of 1996. Hey, we, we would cut guys, and I'd go over to Seth, and I'd say, Seth, what's his guy's name? And he'd tell me. I'd go over, hey, Bill, sorry to see you go. I really oh, will miss man. you around that's here. messed up, man. What? <laughs> We talked about it with Zach, and I, you know, I don't know if you heard that podcast, Harvey, but where we get, you know, Zach got a lot of requests his first year. He was a fifth round pick for us. We didn't know if he was going to make the team. We didn't know, but he was a legend in Texas, and we we started getting all these requests. And Harvey goes, "I got five requests for this guy. I think he's short, and I think he's white." He's a fifth so round draft choice. Him. Forget it. <laughs> Let me know if he makes the cut. Your guy. Yeah. Oh, no, OJ, you were different. You won't even remember this, but I know you're exaggerating because <laughs> the very first day we brought you down here, I remember Dolphin Digest put out a special. That's at right. that time and every year we would have to get the number one pick and do some funky photo that Andy yeah. Cohn would want and if I remember right we took you to a beach yeah. and did a photo shoot with you on the beach OJ comes to Florida which you had him in a tux yeah, oh we did I remember <laughs> oh my goodness. god you've worn him more than I have so uh, I, did, I, didn't know his, I, I didn't know his name and he probably knew mine because probably <laughs> cursing me the entire trip down but you know when you're first round pick you get him to do anything it only takes a few question. weeks before they realize they can say no and it's not, not going to well especially the backstory Harvey which he told on our first episode of the podcast is that they US like, Air lost my, they my lost luggage. his fucking luggage so he, <laughs> he had no choice but to wear the tux <laughs> did you wear it to the press conference i did I wow did. i gotta look well, for those and then the banquet afterwards we have a, banquet oh, really? we have a yeah. picture of it people oh, yeah. wondering what is this guy he's so well dressed he's got to be real urbane little did they know what we were getting yeah he had no choice he had no choice so we talked about my first day as an intern and that was 1996 it was jimmy johnson's first year oj we know that's when things turned a little bit not necessarily your favorite time 
Heisman tenure as a Dolphin. That we've talked about that here. Uh, Keith Byers was on the. <laughs> yes, Keith was. I'm going to tell you a Jimmy OJ story though that he doesn't even know. Okay. Okay. You know this, Jimmy. If you're ten minutes early, you're five minutes late. Kind of like the way you weren't today coming into this podcast. Put him on So so we're in Berlin. I'm a protecting guy. We're in Berlin. We're playing a preseason game in Berlin, right? Yes. Uh, and we're getting ready no, to game. not me. No, it might, might have been Tokyo. Somewhere we were brought. Oh, it's no, probably, probably Mexico, Mexico City. Mexico City. Yeah, 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 Mexico, 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 Mexico City. Yeah. yeah, so we're, we're... A lot of years. Already. Right, sorry about that. They all, they all you were all together. over the place <laughs> So anyway, football. so we're getting ready to leave. I think we stayed over after the game and leaving the next morning. So we're getting ready to leave. And, you know, getting out of a country is difficult. You know, it's not <laughs> like getting out of, you know, getting out of Chicago. You know, right. you have to go through customs and everything else. So we're supposed to leave like at 10 o'clock in the, in, in the morning. And it's 10 of 10. And we're on the bus. And Jimmy turns to me and says, let's get out of here. And I look around and I said, where's OJ? You weren't on the bus at 10 of 10. What? And we sent out a search party. Wait a minute. For, I'm taking a lot of grief from Jimmy. And Stu is looking for him. This is and, 1997. Just. Yeah. So I forgot who's looking for him. Yeah, but we're, Mexico City, man. So, so <laughs> finally, at five of, you show up. We None of us found you. We don't know where you were. But show up at five minutes before 10. Gets on the, get on the bus. And Jimmy kind of gave you a dirty look. And I, I, remember, I didn't give a damn. I, well, <laughs> you Fuck were, him. You were on time, technically. <laughs> you were on time, <laughs> technically. But you weren't on Jimmy time. And Juice, hey, I'm going to take some credit for one for me you might still be in mexico city <laughs> well let me tell you we would have left oj might have been 10 minutes late but father leo missed the damn <laughs> he missed he missed the church <laughs> he service. Missed the church. <laughs> the one reason he's there he was, right. he, was, he, was he was being a tourist i was with him he was yeah. that morning we were at an old yeah because you weren't going to the church. no it wasn't a synagogue <laughs> i didn't care we're in the middle of old uh, cathedral in mexico city by the time we got back I, I guess jimmy had changed the time of the mass and it already passed and jimmy went nuts because the only reason father leo was on that trip was to conduct that mass and he was 20 miles away in the middle but of the no, city. But no, it got worse. Then he did it for the Broncos. Oh. Right. <laughs> he did it for the Broncos. He almost got his ass left. If you want to talk about anybody who got left. So anyway, Jimmy's first year was 96. And At this point, we'll never get to this, the end of this podcast. No, we got no chance. <laughs> right. We're, we're, we're going to have to right. do like we did with Channing <laughs> and double up. The only difference between this and Channing's was Channing was drinking beer. You're drinking water. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, that transition. So you made the transition from George to Shula and Robbie and now to Jimmy those two guys were a little bit different I mean I know there were some similarities and you're working for a coach and those things but and then unfortunately I guess it prepared you for a lot of transitions afterwards but what was that like having to make that shift because you probably thought Shula was going to be there forever and, and then to have to go and then have this other iconic coach that had you know kind of that outlaw uh, that persona I mean what was it? and then you start to see new people coming in I know you always worried Rich Dowers yeah. was going to take your job what was that like well uh, one thing that was different when I came to Shula I knew I was set there. You know, Joe Robbie had hired me, and Shula didn't really care at that point. That he yeah. wasn't, you know, he wasn't Ed, going anywhere. Eddie White was his previous PR director, and you know, Eddie and he had a good relationship. But you know, he's not going to sit here and worry about who's. Well, your Shula PR. impersonation wasn't anywhere near as good no, as Eddie's. No. <laughs> I don't know why he got himself in trouble with a walkie-talkie with Sue, but that's, I, a, I learned that's that a whole too. different story. I, well, yeah, I learned the lesson about not saying anything over a walkie-talkie. But anyway, so Jimmy comes and he starts bringing over his people from Dallas. Bob Ackles, Kevin O'Neill, a few others. And I understood that he and Rich Dowerford, who was a very close friend of mine, had a great relationship. And I kiddingly called Rich, and I said, Rich, are you coming here? Should I start preparing my resume? And was Rich with him at UM? Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, so Jimmy, that was the big fear. Yeah, you thought right. everyone was yeah, coming J back to Miami. J J Jimmy brought him from, from Miami UM to Dallas. To Dallas, Got right. It. So, you know, I thought he was going to bring all those Dallas guys or UM guys over, right. which he did to some extent. But Rich said, hey, one thing I worked in this business, I love Jimmy, but I always know an owner is going to be around a lot longer than a head coach. 
and he made the right decision, and he's still with Jimmy. Still there. A batch of rings later. Right. I mean, with, with uh, Dallas. With, with Dallas. Dallas. He, with was, Jerry. he was by yeah. Jerry's side yeah. when Jason right. went into the Hall of Fame. He was right there with him. Wow. Right. So there's two things that – so I come in here, and I know I'm kind of on thin ice because he has no loyal to me, and he thinks I'm a Shula guy. Right. Which I am, but I'm also a Dolphin guy. Right. So – very early in his tenure, not a story I told before the podcast, we had photos taken of our head coaches for the media guide. <laughs> and like we do every year, we take headshots of each individual coach. The one time I ask him to put on a shirt and tie, nobody wants to do it. It's a pain in the ass. It's taking away from meeting time. But because it's when, when the team's all together, they're in the mini camp we're allowed to have. So we get Dave Cross, our photographer for many years, who takes the headshots. <laughs> all the coaches are, are mad and get this over with and, until can you smile? I get two seconds of smile and then they start pitching again. And they're not Cody even wearing, they're right? wearing shorts. So they get all the coaches done. And about 20 minutes later, Dave Cross comes over to me and says, I've got bad news for you. <laughs> I said, uh-oh, I forgot to put film in the camera. How the fuck <laughs> do you forget to put film in the camera? Good job. That's, that's I, mean, I, I, I didn't know whether to be angry or... I forgot I, to put the keys in the car. Yeah. Like what? Or more importantly... How do I tell this to these coaches, including <laughs> Jimmy? We've got to do this over again. And how do I explain why? Right. So what do you tell them? Well, I very well can't tell him our team photographer forgot to put film in the camera. I mean, Jimmy would look at me like I'm an idiot, which yeah. he'd be right. And he really doesn't know me. You and Dave would be done. Yeah. So so I, 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 I'm I sitting there, well, how am I going to tell Jimmy? we got to redo all this. Not just him, but his coaches as well. Right. So I went over and I came up with some cockamamie story about there was some some piece of lint fingerprint on, on a lens, yeah, or on something. the lens or something. It didn't come out right. You don't look very good because there's a, a little thing on the photo. Now this wasn't a porn. We had no idea what the photos looked like. Right. I mean, right. you know, you had to actually <laughs> develop them to find out. So anyway, so there's there's uh, and, and Jimmy starts yelling at me, but at least we got him to do it, and he didn't really know the real reason. So Jimmy, if you're listening, I apologize too for not being a front. <laughs> hey. But I, I'd rather you yell at me now than back then. Right. Didn't right. Know I was. You can't do anything but about this, it. This is the 5 Reason Sports Network, Miami Sports On Demand. We now have 15 podcasts in the network covering every professional sports team in South Florida and much more, all absolutely free. You can find all of our shows on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. If you just can't get enough, become a member of our patron feed and you'll get even more exclusive content, including post-game analysis. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Don't abandon your team's coverage just because they missed the playoffs. Tune in and stay informed with all of the latest coaching changes and free agency rumors. Here's what you missed on the last episode of Three Yards Per Carry. But I think if you can get Alvin Kamara, and I think they've kind of gone away, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm, watching, I'm watching the Adam Gase taco video. Oh, it's hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> Serious. The moving taco is brilliant, isn't it? I'm glad I'm keeping you so. I mean, you know, you're just watching a you're just watching a floating taco instead of listening to me. If you're interested in advertising your business on our network, reach out to us at number five recent sports on Twitter. To stay up to date with all of our shows, enter five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. But it is what but, it is. Yeah, it is. And, but but Jimmy, you know, when you were around, Juice, whether people liked or not, Jimmy also was great in, in, in setting a culture, too. And, and that's been very difficult for the organization to do right. over the last few years. But Jimmy had his way of doing it. It was, in retrospect, more successful than we actually thought at the time because if we didn't make a Super Bowl, right. it was a disappointing. Yeah, that's the high level that Jimmy brought. And to a large degree, he, he did live up to it in, in terms of making it at least the vision around a few times and the talent he brought on the team. So. Yeah. 
I think Jimmy people viewed him as maybe not on the as defensive successful. side of the ball. Right. Like they would they, tell yeah. you. No, well, you're right. I mean, <laughs> you know, we it, never good enough. Just you know, we we never when when you played and when Danny played, we never had the great defense. You no. know, it was John Offerdahl who was really the only, and, and maybe Jeff Cross for a couple of years. But you know, we nice never had to put the, Jeff right. in there. Well, he made, <laughs> so we only had a couple of Pro Bowlers on defense. Right. right. Afterwards, we only had a couple of Pro Bowlers on offense. Right. Never I the think, same. Never, yeah. never at the same time. I think you and I, if we ever had them together at the same time, you guys in your prime and, and, and Jimmy's guys in his prime, we would have won some Super Bowls. Yeah, we should have. We definitely yeah. should have. Well, when, when Jimmy finally quit, you know, on the team, <laughs> he, he had he had Dave Wants that prime to, to, to take over. And you and Dave had a great relationship. It, it was great because Dave was a very good friend of mine. Yeah. Still is to this day. You know, Jimmy, I, I consider myself friends with. I stay in touch with him. Coach Shula, I was with the track with him a week ago, so I had a friendship with him. But Dave was a personal friendship. You know, we'd play golf together. But the one thing that I loved is we would jog together after practice. Dave and I would go out <laughs> jogging and everybody on the team knew I had the head coach's ear for an hour. Unrestricted. <laughs> it was the only time people were actually scared of me. Oh, that drove people yeah. nuts. I know. Oh, it was man. great because they, I'm not, and it I was never, wild. you know, it would be like when Kevin and, and Jimmy always used to, right, always used to jog together. And, and, you know, Kevin was more than a trainer. He was Jimmy's right hand guy and Kevin was great at what he did and understood Jimmy and people understood that Kevin was Jimmy's right hand person and so you always made sure that you treated Kevin with respect that he should have gotten anyway you know PR guys never get that respect as a matter of course which I understand but that was three or four years when I was jogging with Dave I got anything I wanted from right, those guys because right. they understood that hey he's he, he he's the uh, liaison the downside is and I never did this and, and, and I, maybe you thought this as well some people thought because of that closeness I was Dave's spy right just as I think people thought Kevin was Jimmy's spy he was. I, know, I don't know if Kevin was or wasn't I never got to that but, but I, mean, I also he was yeah, I I don't know. I I really didn't want to know that stuff. I I kind of. Well, Harvey, my, you told us line. you were a spy for. <laughs> but 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 back I'm in, saying back but, in Cleveland. But well, that's different. I, I, Harry <laughs> Weltman knew I was Georgia's spy because I would tell. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm telling George all this stuff. But but with Dave, I, I and I know, and I'm telling the truth, and maybe you know some people listening who were on those teams might not believe. It, but I, I I never viewed it that way, and I never told Dave what was going on in the locker room. It's not my role, and, and understand about my job. If you don't have the respect of the players and the head coach when you ask them to do things, they won't do it. Right. Exactly you know, right. They know that media relations is not going to determine, as I said earlier, whether they're on the team or not. So if they told me to take a hike, it's not going to affect them. Right. So you had to make sure you maintain your relationship. I know you and I even had our own differences over a few things, and I understand that. But I think at the end of the day, the players have to know, and I can talk about this later when Parcells got here. Uh, if you ever get that far in this podcast, right. but 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 the, I was hoping to skip over the Parcells yeah. stuff, but, but I get yeah. it. I get but, it. But, but the football people, <laughs> players, and coaches have to have you have to earn their respect, and if they if you don't have it, you can't do your job. And I had to be careful about That's that, and and I never did. And, and again, people, I never. If I would hear things in the locker room, I would never tell Dave. That's for him to find out other ways. And and, and to his credit. He and I know ask. Dave had a, had a, has a, has not the greatest reputation. He never asked. Right. He never asked me to do that. And he felt that That's was surprising. his job. That's no, actually surprising. No, Dave felt it was his job to know what was going going on. He might have had assistant coaches tell him that. I'm going to tell you why it's surprising. I, and I haven't told this story yet, so this is a new one for OJ. But uh, I, you know, my role as the younger guy, I had mm-hmm. a great relationship in the locker room, and and um, with, with a non-starter. With yeah. the non, <laughs> I had a few good relationships with some starters too. But Harvey made sure that I stayed in my place. 
place. But uh, when we had that exodus, I don't of guys, think JT knew your name by then. Oh uh, no, JT oh, knew okay. my name very early in '97 because he was a third round pick, the second okay. one, and you had you didn't <laughs> know his damn name. Yeah, we got 267 defensive end. He ain't making it either. Yeah, he, he and Zach will be on that same bus out of here. That's exactly right. So uh, we had that exodus of guys who ended up going up to New England right before New England realized that they would win a bunch of Super Bowls with Tom Brady. And so in that first oh, or second Izzo year, Owen, yeah. so Izzo went over there, Damon Huard yeah. went over there, Chad Weaver, you know, all those guys. And so they came in their first time back down to Miami. They came in and Izzo called me and he said, hey, can you pick me up at the hotel? Uh, me and Damon, we're actually, Dan's going to make, we're going to go have, we're going to go have dinner. We're going to Moderanos and oh, yeah, shit, I'll get a free dinner at Moderanos, go see my guys, the whole thing. And this is the night before a game. And so I pick up, I pick up <laughs> Izzo and Damon and we're driving in my little like Nissan Altima, which is hilarious. And and we go over to Monterano's and Danny's there and everybody's there and we're having a good time. And a couple Patriots players try and show up. I think Ty Law tries to get in, but he's in a tank top. And you know, Steve, the only guy who could wear a tank top in Monterano's was Steve right. while he was cooking. Right. And uh, and so somehow the story gets out. And so I'm sitting, now we're back in the press box the next day. You don't even remember this. And so Harvey on game day, Harvey's down on the field and he's with, he's in the referees meeting and then he's getting the inactives and he's doing all the things that a PR guy is supposed to do. And then I get a call from the locker room and we had at that point the press box we had two different press boxes we had the the sideline box and then we had what we called the main box but it was basically the marlins baseball box and i ran that press box so the phone rings and and it's kind of like the red light ring and you know in your story <laughs> and i answer it and it's harvey and norman is he going to give me the inactive he goes hey seth coach wants to talk to you Coach, Coach who? <laughs> He's like, Dave. Dave wants to talk to him. I'm like, the fuck does he want to talk to me for? We're kicking off in 35 minutes. And he pay, hey, hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Hey, what's up, Coach? What's going on? Everything's good. Yeah, how, how, how are we looking? He goes, so you had dinner last night with Izzo, huh? And I was like, you, you don't remember this? No. He goes, you had dinner with, with Izzo and, and Damon. I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't going to lie to him. and I mean, obviously he knew. Knew already, right? Uh, yeah, I did. What did you guys talk about? The good old days, the friggin' meatball marinara. Like, I, you know, I don't know. I'm with Larry Izzo, who's a special teams player, and Damon Hjord, who's not going to fucking see the field. Right. Like, like <laughs> what do we talk about? And, and I'm the third PR guy. Like, I, I wouldn't even know what to tell you if they took. Well, did anybody else show up there? Did any, any other guys? And I think I saw Brian Cox. Ty Law couldn't get in. Uh, anybody talk about anything? You got any idea who's going to play? Anybody? Coach. I don't no. know, man. Like, now, now. That's good. I like that. <laughs> you remember this? Yeah, but now that I do, and now I know how it happened. All right, now let's explain something. You might remember this. I took the Patriot broadcasters out there that night. Ah, uh, yeah, everybody was there. Yeah, yeah like I, Rick Patino was. Right, I mean, it was yeah. crazy. I know. I, but but, but it, was, it took me a while to get. I took. It was Saturday night. So you yeah. told and, on and, me, Harvey? And, no, well, well, <laughs> well, well. In essence, I did, but I didn't know I did because I'm sitting, I'm sitting there with Dave, and you know, before getting the inactives and all that, and I said, yeah, I was. I, I took out the broadcasters. You know, it was Gino. It was uh, Gino Capoletti and. Uh, their play-by-play guy, who's a friend of mine's name, I should remember. Don't get old, it's terrible. Right, <laughs> but, I know. but anyway, so I said, yeah, we were at Matarano's last night, and I saw, you know, Seth was there, and Izzo was there. So I was telling him, just, Thanks in, a co- lot. just in conversation, I didn't, you know, little right. I know that was getting right. anybody in trouble. Right. <laughs> By the way, speaking of phone calls from coaches before a game, when we get to Nick, remind me to tell you about a phone call from Nick right. before a game. Well, that well, was a real panic Let's get situation. right to him. We're on <laughs> to Nick. Yeah, think about it, though. You know, after Wanstead, you, you had Nick. You yeah. had Cam Cameron. You had Sperano. You had Philbin. Give us a little bit about Nick, who's a you know a great college coach, but obviously had his issues as a If, if Joe Rose is listening, he's going to curse me out because I am the— He what, already did on yeah, the podcast okay. earlier. <laughs> That's fair enough. Because he gets somebody—I'm I, I, Nick's last defender down here. You and, and JT. Yeah. And, and I will tell you the two Chatting. Re- I'll tell you the two reasons why. And one is a serious story that I tell, but nobody wants to believe it. But the first reason is <laughs> 
Why did I like Nick Saban? Yeah, we why talked, did you like we, Nick We Saban. talked about this when I talked about Coach Shula. Nick Saban would always yell at me. That's why I got—he was the kid around. The only time I'd ever see him laugh, he said, well, George Steinbrenner gave him the gray hair on his left side, and I gave him the gray hair on the right <laughs> side. He said that as recently as a week ago when, when I saw him down here. We were talking for a little bit for the Alabama game. Anyway. It's nice that he knew who you were. Yeah, but, nice, but, nice, but nice. oh, no, we always we stay in touch I all the time. I know you were. I, I'm not a big yeah, Nick guy. I talked My to boss him, is. I talked to him when Wayne passed away. Anyway, Nick would do the one thing I always asked of coaches. I don't mind getting yelled at. And in Nick's case, I would get yelled at a lot like George was for things that I didn't do wrong. But I understand that. He also would listen. Now, he would do it in his own way, but he would take my advice, listen. And whether he did it or not, that's fine. I would always support it, whatever he decided to do. But he would always ask for it and take it. And I'll tell you, start to prove it. And again, I bail him. This is uh, early September 2006, September 11, 2006, fifth anniversary of, of 9-11. We had just lost a game. It was a Monday. We had just lost the previous Sunday. So contrary to belief, Coach Saban actually does believe or understand what's going on in some of the world around him. Not all of it, but some of it. And he knew it was a fifth anniversary. We were talking about that up before we were going downstairs. You know, I usually I meet with the head coach and say, Coach, you're going to ask this, 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 and this. And here's how I think you should answer. And, and, and with Nick, he always did that. Some coaches didn't. And so, his assistants right. would work with Harvey, and we'd come up with some of those questions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to go in the meeting, but right. we worked collectively yeah. as a and, staff. And I would take all the credit. Right, yeah. Right, right. yeah, that's cool. I mean, we understood that, but I just want to, you know. I'll take that award off your what wall. What did you do? Like, <laughs> <since laughs> you <laughs> take it with me. What and did you so, always say, Harvey? Everyone always sees the swan gliding yeah. on the water, but he'll see his little fucking legs. Pat on yeah. <laughs> well, some people power harder than you, Seth. Uh, but anyway, so I'm not a, as effectively though, yeah, right? But for longer. Uh, but I was up with Coach Saban, and we actually were talking about nine eleven, you know, fifth anniversary, and all. Yeah, it's a real shame. I know you're in New York, or you know, I'm sure you had some connections to what happened there. So anyway, so we go downstairs. This is very early in his tenure. He hadn't made whatever enemies in the media he had made later on, and they ask him a question about the loss the day before, and he said, "Yeah, it was tough, but you know, it's not like people are jumping out of buildings around Ooh. here." And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. my eyes rolled, and so did everybody else's. I mean, I knew what had happened yeah. and everybody else, and just like you guys yeah. did. So we go up, and uh, I get in the office, and he's going into meetings. He doesn't want to see me the rest of the day. I said, Coach, I need to just tell you one thing. You made a mistake down there. What do you mean I made a mistake? And and he starts getting in my case. I says, well, your comment about people jumping out of buildings is going to be taken out of context, and it's going to make you look bad because you're comparing a loss to what happened on 9-11. He started to say, God damn it, that's the problem with you, and he was a little more louder and a little more intense than I am now, says, you got me on eggshells when it comes dealing with these guys. I don't care what they say, the heck with them. This is all your fault. You're making me more nervous about dealing with those guys than I need to be. I got more important things to deal with than worry about what those guys are going to do. All right, fine. I go into my, and, and, and I walk out, and Ann Rodriguez, Nick's, and everyone's coach, Shula Secretary, yeah. outside, and he says, boy, that was a little bit of a tongue lashing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. So I walk out, but I knew this was going to happen. I get to my desk, the phone rings three minutes later. It's Ann, and I knew this was coming. Coach wants to see you. So I go back in and Nick is still pissed and he yells at me. He says, this is all your goddamn fault. This is all because of you. Since this is your fault, you created this mess. You tell me how to get out of it. <laughs> and what he was doing was asking for advice. He was telling you in you were right. <laughs> yeah. In his own way, he was saying, how do I need to correct this? Right. And I told him, I said, coach, go downstairs. These guys, you know, you have a good relationship. This is early. You have a good relationship with these guys. Just And this is the age before Twitter. Thank God. Right. It happened two years later. immediately. It would have had a chance. And nobody, nobody had put it in the blog or anything, but they all were going to write it. Right. So Nick walked down, Coach Saban walked down, and he said, uh, guys, I, I, 
I, I apologize for what I said. I don't want you to think I was being insensitive. As a matter of fact, Harvey and I were actually just talking about that right before I came down. It was kind of on in my mind when I said it because we had been talking about knowing the, the impact of what this day is. So I put it in the way I shouldn't have only because I understand the sensitivity since we were just have been discussing it. I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't write it. And that's what I, would, I told him to say. Did that's they what honor he did it? Do. Yes, they did. Yeah. yeah, you will not see a word about it. That would not have guys, happened yeah. in the age of Twitter. That would not have happened probably his second year when he. He and wouldn't the have gotten through the press conference yeah. Been out, yeah. on, on yeah. Twitter already. But, but oh, they, it they was probably they live streamed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's why I like Nick Saban. And the second thing is, you know, what, did, before you tell the second thing, Harvey, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I and as much as we've joked and, mm-hmm. and my experience mm-hmm. is working for you and everything, Juice, I got to tell you, like that thing right there. There's two things that jump out at me. One is a PR guy. Those are like your victories that you don't ever get credit for. But that's where you go home. You said I did a good job today. Right. You know, as a PR guy, because you know that, that like that's what that's you what keep you out do. of the paper. Sometimes is absolutely the stuff nobody it. ever hears about. But you know that you like you feel right. good about that. I just scored a touchdown there. I just threw right. a touchdown back or sacked a quarterback. Like that. That's your victory as a PR guy. But the second thing that I want to point out, and this is true, Harvey, because I know we're going to get into some other shit, and I'll forget. But like. I learned that's what I learned from working for Harvey is and we talked about it a little bit before we jumped on the podcast here today is sometimes you have to tell your boss something that they don't want to hear and it's not easy to tell them right. and you're going to have to take sometimes abuse for doing so but if it's the right thing to do you got to fight for what's right and ultimately honor their wishes as the boss and I learned that from you Harvey and I appreciate that and I yeah. JT probably doesn't appreciate it because there's times where he wishes <laughs> I would just say yes sir and shut the fuck up right but ultimately I think guys who are smart enough recognize that there's value to that I've always said and, and, and uh, I'll get back to the second saving story in a second. Yeah, sorry to but, throw but, the whole thing off. But I always said if they wanted somebody just to go, yes, they can hire a six-year-old. Yeah, yeah, they don't need somebody. And that's why I think with institutional knowledge, it, it pays off. But let, let me tell you the other saving story, and this is one you probably have. I've, I've said this. People don't want to believe it. And I even told it to the Alabama sports information director when I was talking to him. And I, uh, Nick knows this. is How can it be friendly when he lied to you about I'm not going to Alabama? This is what I believe happened. And I'm the only one in the position to tell the story because I'm the only one who talked to Nick before at a press conference. There were all kinds of rumors out there. So we come off the field, and first thing I say is, Coach, first thing you get asked about is, are you having any interest in the Alabama job? And he turned to me and says, God damn it, I'm not going to Alabama. I have no interest in going to Alabama. I just told Wayne that two hours ago. I'm not going to Alabama. Now, he loved Wayne Heisinger. When Wayne passed away, Nick said in the quote I got from him that Wayne and Marty were the two people he respects most as much as anybody outside of his parents. He loved them. There is no way in my mind that he would have lied to Wayne, but I'll get to that in a second. I I said, Coach, here's my thought. If you're even thinking a little bit about it. Give yourself some wiggle room and just say, hey, I'm not focusing on anything right now except this coming game. My focus is on the Colts. That's all I want to talk about because that's really what's in front of us. So this way you don't paint yourself in a corner. But if you are 100% sure you're not going to Alabama, then I think you ought to say it because you owe your players the same loyalty you demand of them. And if they're sitting here and not knowing whether you're going to be the head coach or not, and you know for sure you're going to be, you need to return the loyalty that you demand of them to, to maintain that respect and relationship. He says, well, I told you, I'm not going to Alabama. I said, okay, well, then that's what you ought Go to say. Go with that, right? That's what you ought to say. He went and did it. That's what he said. Infamously, I'm not going to Alabama. And to this day, I believe at that point in time, That was 100% truthful, and for two reasons. One, as I alluded to, I don't think he would lie to Wayne Heisinger. And this was two hours early. I don't believe he would do it. And second, Nick was very media savvy. He was one of the most media savvy coaches I've been around. This was nothing new to him. He was with LSU and National Championship. He he knew the media. I don't think if he was going to Alabama, he would have painted himself or, or had some thought about it. He would have 
put himself in that position, paint himself in that corner. He was too smart to do that. What I believe happened, and I actually talked to the Obama SID about this, and I think the time element is pretty right. At that point in time, he had no plans of going to Alabama. In fact, he had told Terry, his wife, Mal Moore, the Alabama AD, was on the way down to try to talk to him. And Coach Saban said, hey, tell him to turn around and go back. I have no desire to talk to him. And Terry, who did want to go to Alabama, I think she missed the, the college environment. You know, the pro environment is very different. Uh, she missed being able to make a, a, a difference in young people's wives. And, you know, coaches' wives don't have any impact on 30-year-olds And once you're in the NFL. She told Mal Moore to come down anyway. And when Nick got home, Mal Moore was waiting for him in their house. And that's when the whole conversation started. So I really believe to this day that when Nick said that, it was 100% true. Never lied to me. Never lied as far as I know to Wayne because he respected Wayne too much. And he's too smart to have made that mistake. And and the timetable was such a that conversation, even that interest didn't happen. He even told Terry, tell him to go home. I don't want to talk to him. So I know a lot of people, most people, probably almost everybody doesn't believe that. But I was the only one in the position to talk to him before that press conference. I know what transpired. I know the conversation we had. So I believe the conversation that you had, Harvey. I, I mean, I believe that wholeheartedly. But I think that either either he did lie to you, uh, or you talked him into saying something that he's living with <laughs> to this day. So that's the real thing he should be motherfucking you about because <laughs> you told him he should go ahead and, and move forward with it. But I'll challenge to what you said. And I didn't work with the man. All I saw was from the perspective of an outsider who had a little bit of understanding. Although I I, I told you this truth, my status in the Dolphins building was never higher ever than it was in the two years that Saban was there because he loved JT so much, and I had just left the team. So I wasn't working for the team, and I was JT's guy. So I I got treated great when I was there. But I think when he was in front of the media, he – would friggin' lose his cool. He continues to do it. And then he ends up having to apologize for it later. You just gave us an example of what happened with the, you know, with the 9-11 thing. So I, I don't know the whole media savvy thing. Talk to our, talk to our media, talk, talk to the media, cover them. They will tell you, our media will tell you, because they've told me this. Nick actually gave information. You know, he would be compared with Belichick. And he said, no, Nick was Nick was smart. He knew how to work the media to give them what they needed or what they wanted to the extent he wanted to But he do would it. also blow up on them. I remember oh, that thing sure he did with the claw. Do you have the claw? And he threatened them with the claw. Uh, oh, no, he un- did some of the most ridiculous uh, things. Unquestionably. But you'll never, outside of the Alabama thing, which take off. Which is own, your fault. We've well, established. Well, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't think you'll find the media will ever think that he ever lied to them. And that's not true right. some other coaches. Coaches I've worked with. We'll have I, to throw I, a poll out there. Yeah, I, I mean, go ask people who've covered it. You know, he had his no, own I'm not talking about lying. I'm, well, not, I'm talking about losing his cool. Right, but this is what we are talking about. His his integrity was put at stake here. Not whether or not he gets upset or not. His his his, his uh, temper or whatever. That's yeah. a different story. We're talking here. What's hurt Nick Saban in this situation was his integrity. And I don't think you will find members of me, and I could be wrong, whoever questioned his integrity. There are other things they would Sounds question. like a Twitter poll, Juice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're you know what? No. There's too many no. people. There's too much it's water too under yeah, that. There's, there's no question. Yeah. And, and in yeah. fairness. But I can uh, just go by what I know and how he's treated me, well, how you, I think he's treated players. I don't think he's lied to players and how he's treated our owner. You you tell me, and you're around, you might know some of these guys I don't know. JT loves him. I, I JT know loves him. Channing, Channing said you got what you got, and it was all up but front. I, so so I can't argue with that. I don't think there's any player. I, you knew where you stood with Nick Saban. I yeah. don't think there was any right. 
I mean, that's consistent with what we've heard. Yeah. So yeah, and and listen, Harvey, the whole purpose of this podcast is to you know to hear the greatest stories you've never heard. Uh, greatest I've told stories. that people yeah. tend not to want to believe. Well, but it. we haven't heard it publicly, and so we appreciate that's you sharing. It, regardless, it of, so I, and, and I'm not questioning. I hope you understand. I'm not questioning your integrity. No, you should. A lot of people are, you know, saying, oh, "Geez, you know, why are you an apologist?" Well, he's not a likable guy down here. I think that's the issue. But really, for what I need from a coach, I only ask for two things: give me a chance to express my opinion and be honest with me. Right. That's all I ask. Right. And there are some other coaches who were, were nicer people who didn't do that. And but lied about their all ass across. off to you. Yeah, yeah but when, yeah. Or when they ask me, hey, I'm good, I don't need anything. Yeah. And, and that, that could be whether it's basketball, baseball, or, or, or football. I don't want to point fingers. But for what how I judge a coach, all I have to do is to view Nick by how he treated me Period. in the areas of the point. Right. That's and, fair. Right. Exactly and and right. if, there's, if I see integrity and in how he dealt with me, how he dealt with the team, how he dealt with... Now, he did bad things when he left. He called the you know the, the coaching staff on the conference call to say he was leaving. I'm not saying he was a people person, right. but I do think he had a sense of integrity, at least in everything I saw around him. That situation included. Well, I think most people that think of Nick, they're, they're fans, like myself. And, you know, so I, I understand your personal relationship with him. A lot of guys, a lot of people down here, they're Dolph fans, and they just figure out this is how he handled the Dolphins, and that's why they'll have their right. Their I'm, view of I'm disappointed too. Yeah, yeah I, from I mean, a fan yeah, perspective. No, even I just didn't like the way he treated Seth, people. Seth, but honestly. I'll tell you what, even yeah. from employee standpoint. I was sorry to see him go, and I'll tell you why. Because but I, 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 thought, I think you're in the minority there, though. No, I, here's where OJ and I agree. I think people were sorry to see Nick go, not so much because of the way he did it, but because they thought he would have been successful here. That's if fair. some of the other coaches that we had said, I'm leaving to go somewhere, well, they we would have thrown that way, would, they, they we feel that way now about Nick. No, we, even I then, that way. I, I, Joe's, Joe's, I, I think fans back then even thought, Nick would still be a good head coach. That's part of the disappointment. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think well, that because it was unfinished business. And just like George, but there were people who were right. treated uh, to me less than human well, in that building. Well, and I know some of that was Scott O'Brien, right? And but, Scott's a different story. But, but he was given the green but, light to do that, right. and that was my issue. But, was someone who was a lower level guy who worked in an NFL team that that and I get it. You were hey, you were okay getting yelled at and the whole I, thing. There, there were people that were treated in a way they didn't right. deserve to be but, treated. But at the end of the day. I want to win. And and I, I got more abuse from George Steinbrenner than anybody else. But I didn't leave because of his abuse because I knew if I stayed there, I'd get some rings. And I was willing to put up with that. I, right. I left because I didn't have the same dedication, as I said earlier, to his job. Same with Coach Saban. I didn't mind putting up with his yelling because he did the two things I asked and I thought it would be successful. And I think deep down, the reason Dolphin fans are probably still mad at Saban is with all the success he had, I think to some extent, and forget the Drew Brees situation, even despite that, if Saban right. had stayed three or four more years, I think most Dolphin fans now would think, gee, you know, we might have won something with him here. I think I you're think right. Really, that's fans, why people are I think pissed. you're right. right. Well, yeah, and now he just dominates, yeah. although he got his ass kicked the other day, but yeah. but now he dominates college football. Right. And yeah, I think you're if, right. If Nick it's a what could have been. Right. If I agree Nick, with if that. If Nick had turned into a loser at Alabama, I don't think people would have cared about, I'm going to Alabama. The fact that he was so successful, I think people cared in part because they, th- they said, gee, this is what we lost. Well, I think right. why, I think more than anything, I think Seth hit it on the head, though. It's not it's how he treated people, and I also think how he talked to his players. That's that, my that issue. And you can't talk to grown men the way he talked and handled grown men, and that's that's a big issue. Juice, yeah. I, I agree with you, and there were some players on, on the team, and Seth, you know it better than I do, who probably were upset about that, but I think Nick is a smart enough guy to learn. You know, He, he would have learned from some of those things. I well, think. apparently he learned from Keith Trailer, is what, what Channing told us. <laughs> Yo, Nick, hey, Nick. 
<laughs> and, and you know there are stories we'll about that him, you know, right? And, and there are stories about him walking over one of our linemen yeah. when he passed out. I, I get Which all Stu that. disputed, and but, I, I I do too. I don't yeah. think Nick saw him. And I will tell you the other reason I just and, and I'm going to get all kinds of Dolphin fans <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> you really are. I, 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 this was going I, I, so I, I good, that. Harvey. Well, maybe they, they've turned. Yeah, this we're off just totally going to skip ourselves. The other the other thing too, I would tell you is that with Coach, I in addition to being honest with players, I think some of the stories, and this is true with Steinbrenner as well. Some of the stories about Nick never happened. You know, people want to believe it because it, wow, that sounds like Saban. But the story about throwing a little Debbie cookie at Ann because she had the wrong <laughs> brand in there for his breakfast. The size. I heard it yeah. was the big ones and not the little ones. The <laughs> oatmeal cream pie. Ask Ann Rodriguez. It yeah. never happened. Yeah, the, the story about. But I do know the I do know the story about the blue Gatorade or Powerade that did happen. But, <laughs> but, but that was Scott O'Brien. That wasn't Nick. I got yelled out. I for see you. what you're saying. I got, Scott I, was chewing everybody's Scott ass. Scott was trying to keep Nick happy. Scott was Nick, Nick was was you know had a temper, but Scott was a designated bad cop, and a lot of things that happened they, that either hat. didn't happen. Or happened because people thought Nick did. I'll give you an example for us. Very first year, it was a practice at camp, and uh, it rained, and everybody went inside. And when they came back out, the bleachers where the media sat were wet. So I went up to the locker room, and I grabbed some of these big green towels and wiped the, the stands dry so they had a dry place to sit in when they came back out. After practice, Scholar Bryan called me over, and he yells at me, Why are you using those goddamn green towels? You need to use the blue towels because the blue towels are for stuff like that. The green towels are, are, are the you know for the shower. Wow. Well, That's people, pe- pe- people thought that was the story got out later that Nick Saban yelled at me for that. Right. Nick couldn't care less. So there are stories about that. Well, Debbie, about the haircut story that, that you know, <laughs> someone complimented about a haircut and he was told never to talk Don't to Nick again. Don't even look at him in yeah, the hallway. That never happened. Uh, again, and the, people are going to kill me. It never happened or it just never happened for or, Nick? Or, or it actually might have been Scott O'Brien saying right. Got it. You know, without Nick telling him to say it. You know, yeah. and, and, and fine. Nick, Nick was present, though. Right? No, I think Scott, like the towel thing, Scott called the person aside yeah. and said, don't ever talk to Nick again. Yeah. So and I didn't use those words I'm not from saying, what yeah, I understand I, And I'm not saying all the stories are, are, are not true, but I know of a number that either didn't happen or Nick had no knowledge and involvement of, and I'll just leave it at that. But because it sounds like saying and just like it sounds like Steinbrenner, people right. want to believe it. Fair enough. Fair. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll take. Yeah. That's your perspective. I'm Harvey. telling you two that did happen. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three that happened. All right. I'll, yeah, fair. Well, I'll go ahead and believe you on that. <laughs> and unfortunately, and this is really convenient for me, but unfortunately, looking at the time, Ethan's going to tell us that we can't be doing two-hour podcasts. <laughs> so we'll maybe great. have to bring oh, it back yeah. in oh, to start talking oh, about oh, the Parcells years. Oh, hopefully, from now, all the readers have uh, tuned this out and uh, aren't getting into. No, they're no, actually no, listeners. They're, they're not readers. Harvey. <laughs> this is a podcast. We'll, we'll get you. Uh, do I'm old. Uh, does your flip phone get the? <laughs> you, you get, get the podcast, podcast on the flip phone? <laughs> no, but I do on my beeper. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, really appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. I know that we pulled you away from a golf game today, and uh, and some other things that you had on the schedule. I hope we see a Saturday. I got to get back to work because we do have the Wiffle Blast coming up, Juice. I know you're going to be playing in the Wiffle Blast, benefiting the Jason Taylor Foundation. But it's in Parkland, right outside of your uh, community, Harvey. So I hope we see you this Saturday. I can hit a curveball and a fastball, but I can't hit a wiffle ball. Yeah, they're, they're the hardest to hit. I know. That's for damn sure. Yeah, they're, they're oh, 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 for an ex-baseball player, Roger, you're pretty good. I uh, saw you last year doing it. I think I was one for 50 in that tournament last year. It was I awful. might have seen the one. <laughs> <laughs> you came at the right time. That's right. At the right time. But seriously, we, we greatly appreciate you coming on, spending some time with us, telling us uh, some amazing, amazing stories. Amazing stories, man. Good really good stuff. And we hope we have a chance to get you back in. Uh, good. I enjoyed it. Always good talking to both of you guys. Thanks. Hey, thanks for diving in, Harvey. You're now diving into the fish tank.
Seth living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. dog fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, Rockin' with OJ and Seth when we dive up in that fish tank. Uh, uh, uh. Fans with attitude, okay. we better dive this up for in them that fish tank. Celebrate big or cry hard. Leave it all on the field, we gon' try hard. Old school, a new school, mix it in. Feeling like we up close when we listening. Dolphins tales in Miami is the deep end. We vibing with our favorite players, no secret. We get with Seth and McDuffie. Bringing up stories we never heard to the public. Bet we love it. Dolphins fans never budget. We loyal to the team, whether happy or we upset. We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about them fans. And if you ready for that water, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about them fans. And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in. Don't switch the subject. You know it's all about them fans. You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive, dive in. Fish tank. Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank Rockin' with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank